0: Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. This is the UTC Real Estate Club podcast. I'm Tim Stone. This is my co-host for today, Ian Cushing. He is the current club president. And today
1: we're interviewing David Olds. So hey. David, thanks for being here. Oh guys, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I've seen seen a bunch of your podcasts and on all the different social media things. So I'm... I'm psyched that you. That I've somehow whittled my way to the top of the list to get on to get on the podcast. Yeah,
0: thank you. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. A few weeks ago, we had your business partner Tag Thompson yeah. on here. Yeah. So he
1: told us a little bit about your business, but you can go did? ahead. But well, you definitely started with with the better guy. Um, yeah. So you want to know about our my business or what? Like what? Tell me uh, your... Let's Let's go
0: back to uh, before college or maybe before a little college. bit before college. What were you doing, and then what did the path towards real estate look like if you weren't always aiming that direction? Yeah,
1: I definitely was not aiming that way. Um, so I grew up in Boston, uh, kind of at the in, in Massachusetts, um, right outside of Lowell, Mass, which was the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution. Little, little trivia there for all you guys. But uh, um, went to like a private Catholic school for boys, and you know had a you know great education, did all that stuff. Went to UMass. I actually started out. Um, I went into the five-year NBA program, and I'm like, "Yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be awesome." And uh, you know, have stuff. My one of the first classes I took was a uh, accounting class in a room of like 300 people, which we did not have that in my high school, so that was all kind of new stuff to me. And I realized I'm really bad at accounting. <laughs> so it was one of these deals where. Uh, Luckily, I, towards the end of the semester, I got into this uh, like group project with three other people. And thank God the three of them, the other two of them were smart because because I was like the idiot in the group. I just couldn't do it at all. I couldn't figure out credits and debits and whatever it was in my brain that just, I just couldn't make it work. So thank goodness we got like a C. I got got through that class and, and got out of got out of that as quick as I could, and uh, I changed my major over to criminal justice. I thought I was gonna do like private security or you know law enforcement or something like that, um, but um, actually worked my way through college full time in uh, retail stores as a store manager. And uh, so by the time I graduated college, I was making more money doing that than I would have like with my degree by like a lot more so I'm like well I'll just keep doing this so but growing up my dad was like kind of kind of like strict guy you know was in the army and super smart he was a computer programmer but uh he was the dad like we're gonna work around the house and every day you're gonna come home and do two hours worth of chores and like (laughs) (laughs) see you guys laugh but this is like used to be a real thing Mm -hmm. and uh like I remember coming home from school every day I had you know I had chores I had to do I had to go out and like we were working on the house, I remember, and uh, they put on an addition. So it was like two dump trucks full of dirt, and like my job was to get the wheelbarrow and fill the wheelbarrow and walk the dirt and spread it out. Like this is what I did, you know. My friends, like you know, of course we're in high school. They thought my parents were, were lunatics, but uh, but you know, it gave me a good foundation for like hard work ethic. But I remember as a kid, because we had like an acre of grass in New England, which is the worst place to have grass to to rake in in the fall, right? Because all it does is leaves leaves Mm -hmm. come down. So like I remember as a kid, I'm like, when I grow up, I'm going to have a condo on the beach and I'm never going to do any of these things ever again. This is stupid. Why would anybody make their kid do this? And uh, look what happens. You all turn turn out to be your parents at the end of the day. So kind of grew up like doing a little bit of that stuff. Um, Hated it. Like absolutely hated it. Um, went, to, went to college, graduated, did good, but it turned out that I got into retail, and it was just normal retail, Kmart or stuff like that kind of stuff, but uh, my parents lost, my dad lost his job, and they moved to Florida, so I stayed up there for a little bit and finally moved down, and when I got to Florida, I went to work for this hardware company called Scotty's Hardware Stores, so there were 100, like 177 of them in Florida, so it was a b- real big chain at the time, and like to envision it, it was like way bigger than Ace, not as big as Home Depot. So kind of kind of big stores. Um, so I started working there as a manager. I just I you know got a got a good job there. And I remember like standing at the front of the store having to help people as they came in and like you'd come in and you have that like blank look like somebody sent me to get this screw. And like that was me, like like a couple of yeah. years before because my dad would do that stuff yeah. to me. So I had like a lot of compassion for them. And uh, so anyways I worked there for a little bit. One thing they, they did a lot of was they worked with contractors. So then I was out like on job sites like selling lumber and building materials, those types of things. And it felt very natural to me because I kind of grew up doing some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So when I finally talked my wife into marrying me and we bought our first house, we couldn't figure out... We went to the closing, right? And I couldn't figure out why my paperwork said I was buying it from Wells Fargo because this is 2002, so well before, before all the crazy stuff happened. So my realtor afterwards we're outside she's like oh it's a foreclosure i'm like i kind of think i know what that means but like talk to me like i'm a kindergartner and tell me she's like oh well they couldn't pay the bank took it back you know they put it up for sale then they sell it to kind of recoup their money i'm like oh okay that's pretty cool right so at the time now i'm working for a different company and we're selling it's more like direct to contractors you know windows and doors and trusses and you know that type of stuff so i've got this house i grew up fixing houses and doing stuff so i'm like Tell my wife we're gonna we're gonna tear up the carpet, and put down laminate, click you know, Pergo or something. You know we're gonna do some stuff in the kitchen. I'm gonna take out a sliding glass door, put it in French doors. You know, dopey, be easy stuff like that. And um, like two years later, uh, I got transferred to a different place, so we wanted to move like ten miles closer. So we put the house up for sale, and we had bought it for ninety-seven thousand and sold it for like one hundred and fifty-five. So you know what happens when you had a house for two years? You've lived in it for two years. For anybody that doesn't know. It's tax-free. You don't pay any any income tax on it. So, like, that was, like, the next thing that hit me. I'm like, holy smokes. You can make money. I mean, I don't this. have to pay taxes on, like, the 50 grand that I just made yeah. that I work. You know, I, I have a great job even back then making, like, 80 grand. But I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. So we, we kind of had the same philosophy. We went and found a really, like, the ugliest house in a really beautiful neighborhood. Picture, like, brick houses, oak trees, like, awesome. So we bought this big pool house. Uh, we ended up paying more than we wanted to, like 178000 It was this big four-bedroom, three-bath with a pool, like cul-de-sac. And uh, anyways, I looked at it, and I came home and told my wife. I'm like, hey, so what do you think about doing this again? And my wife's like, like the biggest sense of, you know, like she'll jump off the building with a bungee cord. She so yeah, had like no fear for anything. She's like, yeah, all right, let's do it. I'm like, I'm not done explaining it to you. I have this whole pitch. And she's like, ah, right, well, just do it. I trust you. Okay, cool. So... You know, we go in and we start doing the same thing tear up the carpet, lay in ceramic tile, new doors. Like, I could get a little fancier this time because it's a more expensive house. And we sold that like two and a half almost three years later and made like a hundred grand. And so I'm like, all right, so there's something here. We've got something, right? This is we've got to figure this out. And kind of around that time, I was in the Orlando airport waiting on someone to land. And I was in the bookstore and just like killing time, right? Like everybody does. Because what else are you going to do? Magazines, books, and kind of strolling through and this red book, because it's red, right? I pick it up, I'm like, oh. start flipping through it, and it's Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? And I know this is incredibly cliche. Probably every person you talk to says I, this. I knew and, you were going to say it. Yeah, you right? Said like, store. honest <laughs> to goodness, eight out of 10 people I talked to. The other day, I found someone who's never read it who was a real estate investor, and I was like, you're like the first one ever that's never even heard of it. But uh, so Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I'm flipping through it. And, you know, it's it's easy to read. It's, goodness, you could read it in two days if you're, if you're, one day if you wanted to. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. This this makes sense. So I bought it and took it home, finished reading it. And, uh, you know, kind of a, it, it, like it struck a chord with me because my parents were, you know, hard working, like middle class, lower middle class, worked their way up. Like they did good, like they did all the right things. They had great jobs, 401K, saved money, bought a house. You know, they did all the right things. Um, but like I still had this little piece of me like, you guys probably have this, right? In the back of your head, you know you're gonna do something in life, right? You don't really know what it is, but you just, you are working a job and you're like, I'm gonna run this place one day or, you know, there's just always that something that's inside you that says, I'm just, I'm going to do more, you know, and, and it takes a little while sometimes to figure it out, but I, I read this book, and I'm like, wow, this is, this is like cool, this is good stuff, and if you've read the book at the end, it says, well, you know, if you can do oil and gas, you do this, if you want to do real estate, you should go find a real estate group, so I'm like, okay, like, I'm not that smart, but book says go find a real estate group, go find a real estate group, so I get on like, you know, it was like web crawler, you know, who knows what the, it wasn't even Google back then. And I searched uh, real estate, real estate group in Orlando, because we were just north of Orlando. And what popped up was a wholesaler's website. So I'm like, okay. So I'm like, he's got houses for sale. This is like the early days of even putting anything online. I'm like, okay. And then there's like a resource page, and it said uh, um, Central Florida Real Estate Investors, CFRI.net. So if anybody's watching this in Orlando, go go there. So I read read some of the stuff about it. And I'm like, okay, like this is what this is what the Kiyosaki said to do. Go go to this. So I remember it was like it was early July, and I was like, our meetings are on the first Wednesday of every month at the Bumby Theater, the Bumby Theater, in Orlando. I'm like, okay, cool. So MapQuest. So I print out my directions because this is before GPS. So I print out my directions. I tell my wife I'm going down there, and she's like, have a good time. So I drive all the way down to Orlando. It's like it's like 20 minutes, and. Uh, So the Bumby Theater, it's this old theater, and people just rent it out, right? So I pull in this parking lot, and there's, like, 300 cars. And, like, they all say, like, we buy houses, the inspectigator, hard money, soft money, whatever. Like, appraisal service. It's all, like, real estate people. So uh, I pull in. I'm like, oh. I kind of pull around the back. I'm like, not a lot of parking places. Pull around the other side, and I'm like... I'm just going to (laughs) go because I was too nervous to go in, right? You've had that, right? You go someplace, maybe not you guys, but me. I'm like, I was just afraid. I was afraid to go in because I'm like, there's all these people. And I'm going to sound stupid because what do I know? I'm an idiot. And uh, so so I left. And you know that feeling. you, You don't do something. You're like oh, I should have done that. What am I doing? I'm so stupid. I should have talked to that guy or whatever it is. So July goes or August comes around. I didn't didn't do it. September, I just remember September because it, it like fell on my birthday or the day before my birthday, the first Wednesday. I'm like, I'm going back. So I went down there and um, paid my $20 and I went in and it was like Disney World for real estate. So it had like, you walked in and there was this big lobby and there were all these tables or banners and like all these different companies that do all these different things. And i you know, I get my little bag and I'm picking up pens and, you know, notebooks. (laughs) You know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just doing, I'm doing something, right? This is what the book said to do. So uh, very exciting. And they like ring a bell, like we're about to start the meeting. So everybody files in and I kind of sit as far away from everybody as I can because, because I'm very shy and introverted. And uh, um, so they start their meeting, welcome everybody. And one thing that they do there that's really cool, they have what's called deal of the month. Right? So, what they'll do is they'll arrange it ahead of time, like get three or four people to come up on stage, and everybody talks about a deal that they did that month. And then, like, the, you know, the audience claps and they give somebody like a $100 Home Depot card, right? So, kind of cool. It's kind of educational, right? Gets everybody involved. So, so this guy gets up there. He's an old, guy. he's like 90 pounds overalls, like t-shirt, like everything you can imagine, right? Like just, I don't even want to say hillbilly guy. It's just like this old guy, farmer type guy. Mm-hmm. The only thing missing is the straw hanging out his mouth, like, you know, wrinkly, sunburned, you know? So he gets up there and he's like, hi, my name's Bob. And everybody's like, hey, Bob. Like everybody's friends here. I'm like, I need to be friends with these people. And uh, he's like, I was going to North Carolina on vacation and I, I stopped in, you know, Georgia and this house for sale, there's a sign on the road. So I stopped and I talked to the guy and he wanted 60,000 and I told him I could only give him 40 and he said no. And I'm going like, where is this going? My God, come on, dude. And uh, he like, so I gave him my card and I just left and I was driving back home two weeks later and I was almost to Jacksonville and he called me and he said he'd take 40,000. So I turned around and went back and I'm like, Come on, dude, speed it up. What are we doing? Like I'm giving you the fast version. So so I went up there and and I closed on the house and I bought it for forty thousand and I found a contractor who would do some work on it and you know, and that was two months ago, and I just sold it for one hundred and sixty thousand. I, I lean back in this chair and I'm trying to let that process, and I'm like, this guy, who like if a strong breeze comes along, is getting blown off the stage. He barely speaks English without, you know, doesn't even move his lips when he's talking. I'm like, this guy just made 80 grand. I can do this. Like, I know, like, I'm not an arrogant guy, but like, I know I'm smarter than that guy, right? I'm like, if this guy can do it, I can do this, right? Like, I've already sold two houses. Like, I can definitely do this. Um, I'm like, I can do this. So a couple more people get up and then... Then we're, uh, you know, like, the last person is this, like, Russian girl who's, like, 25, just beautiful, starts opening her mouth, barely speaks English. Like, the the strongest, I won't even do it, the strongest Russian accent you can tell. And I'm watching, and this girl's flipping mobile homes for, like, three, four, five grand a piece, like, two a week, three a week. I'm like, this girl doesn't even speak English. (laughs) And she's making 10 grand a week flipping mobile homes and never, have, have like, with no money out of pocket. And I, I'm like, you know, there are these times in your life where you hit, you like, just something like, the, the universe just hits you with, like, a, you know, a book in the head, and you're like, you got to take notice. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, again, I feel like I'm smarter than these people. Surely I can do this, right? So, so that was it, right? And that moment, like, always comes back to me over and over and over again. And, you know, one thing I could tell you, and for anybody that's listening... There are a lot of rich people out there that are nitwits right you do not have to be the smartest person you don't have to you don't have to have some business plan that's rocket science especially in real estate right just pick one one like strategy just be really good at it but be consistent right um, it I promise you, nothing in real estate is complicated. It is all third grade math. Even if you're dealing with apartment complexes, it's addition and subtraction. Don't let people get you all oh, the cap rates and you got to add and divide. And just... Like this is a very simple business. The people that don't, aren't successful are the people that bounce around. So, so anyways, so I leave this thing. I go home and tell my wife. I'm like, oh, it was really incredible. It was great. She's like, all right, okay, great. Back to what she's doing like, all right, thank you. appreciate the attention. I'm very excited. So, so anyways, I joined the, you know, the real estate thing down there and there are the real estate group and there, it's very big and I'm doing like this long commercial for them, but you know, and it covers all of central Florida. So it's very well organized. And like every night, someplace within like the three counties, there's a group, there's like a landlord and group. And you know, the, uh, the rehabbers group and the land development group and the, the accounting for real estate group. Like every night there's something, right? So if you want to be immersed in real estate for a hundred bucks a year, my God, I've never seen a better group. And that's what I did for like, for as long as I could. And finally I like became a volunteer and I started working at the events so I could go for free. And, uh, so yeah, I got involved. I, I went to a lot of classes. I talked to as many people as I could. I went to all the boot camps and then I started paying for some coaching and some mentoring and, and that type of stuff. Um, you know, learned how to buy properties and take over people's mortgages and just, just some different things over the next few years. Um, and, you know, still kept a full-time job. So I was doing all of this kind of nights and weekends. This was, you know, thank goodness my wife and two sons had a good sense of humor because a lot of times we were living in a house with like saw horses and plywood and our sink was sitting there, <laughs> you know, cause we lived in the houses as we remodeled them. Um, but it was a great way to get started in real estate cause I didn't have to sacrifice. Um, my full-time job. So then, um, you know, the Great Recession happened. And um, sort of like watching, you know, you guys aren't old enough and probably, you probably, know, I know you, most of you don't remember, but it was like watching this train coming at you and you know it's gonna crash. You just didn't know how bad it was gonna be, right? So at the time I was selling building materials and my wife was a per- assistant purchasing director for a big custom home, so home company. So like as a salesman, like, you could just see things starting to slow down, and you feel it feels gradual. You don't, like, you just know something's happening, but you don't, like, nobody had any idea how bad it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and around this time, I bought, the last house I bought in Florida, it was a uh, probate deal. So, the, this guy, of course, passed away. We bought it for 99000 So a little ranch-style house um, uh, in Deltona, Florida, on Trafalgar Road, which is, I realized it was Trafalgar, Trafalgar Square in, in, in London, but anyways, so I bought this house for ninety nine thousand, and you know down there block homes are all the same, right? So like one block over, two blocks over, identical floor plan, it just sold for like two nineteen or two ten, whatever. So I'm like, well the fifty cents on the dollar, and it was good, like it was livable, it was just dated. So I'm like, okay, this is a good deal, right? I can I can do this again, right? And it's like Musical Chairs, you know, you keep going, who knew? And mm-hmm. uh, so. Bought it in like August or July, something like that. And we did all the work ourselves at the time because, uh, you know, we didn't have a ton of money to hire a bunch of contractors. So, you know, we're scraping popcorn ceilings, putting in tile floors. You know, I got some new kitchen cabinets, did, did, did the whole place. And uh, finished in November sometime, called my realtor, and she's like, Yeah, let's do this. Let's put it on the market in January. Houses don't really sell between Thanksgiving and Christmas. People don't want to move, and you don't want to get a bunch of days on market. I'm like, sounds good. So, so like the beginning of January comes along, and I call. i like, hey, Shane, I'm, re- I'm ready. I'm ready if you are. She's like, okay. So she comes over to the house, and she's like, it looks good. I'm like, I know, right? She's like, you did a good job. I'm like, thank you. I know. I'm like, well, what can we sell it for? She goes, well. She starts pulling out all these papers like realtors do, normal stuff, and uh, starts laying them out. She's like, so based on current sales, I think we're probably going to be at like 145. That's the look I had. I'm like, six hmm. months ago, yeah. 219, 210, like, yeah. like whoa, <laughs> what happened? And, you know, so in this time, we knew real estate was tanking. We'd already decided we were going to move to Chattanooga. So like this was it. We were going to sell this house, make 100 grand, and we were, we were out, you know, so my wife's sitting there and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, wait a minute, I don't understand. <laughs> I'm not again not that smart. It was 210 six months ago. Six months ago. I'm like, what's going on? Oh, like, you know, we've had these foreclosures and banks are selling off these properties. And I'm like, okay. She's like, yeah, so this one at the end of the road, you know, it sold for like $97,000, and this other one, like one twenty. and this other one, 130. I'm like, okay. So, I made the mistake that all rookie wholesalers make, or real estate investors make. My house is better, right? My house is better. I'm like, I'm better. Like, you told me I did a good job. I said, I know. It's like, I'm better. And she's like, Yeah, but, you know, the housing's really bad right now. I'm like, Six months ago, 210. The ho- it, it cannot fall that fast. She's like, Yeah, I mean, this is what it is. I'm like, Well, we're not going to do that. Cause I'm so smart. I'm mm-hmm. like, we're going to put it out at 165. And I felt like I was making the biggest concession ever in the history of real estate, right? So I'm thinking to myself, yeah, 60, maybe I'll make, walk out with 50, right? Half. So uh, she's like, okay. She goes outside, puts a little sign in the yard, and uh, like a month, nothing. I'm like, Shane, every day I'm calling her, like, what are we doing? Like, how come my house is not sold yet? She's like, I told you, like, you're overpriced. It's too much. I'm like, fine, let's go to 155. She's like, okay. Again, feeling like I'm being the most magnanimous guy in the world, dropping it to 155. And, uh, like we get one or two calls, but no showings. And now I'm getting a little panicky, right? Cause I know we're getting, we're like, we are going to move. I've already given my, my job notice. It's like we, we were coming to Chattanooga and, uh, we'd already bought uh, a property here and we're ready to close on another one. And, uh, so like another couple weeks, I'm like, listen, what, drop it to 145. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to get this done. Um, because any savings I had I used to remodel the house, right? So it wasn't like I was sitting on I mean I didn't have a ton of dough to start with, but you know, I, was, I had a good job and um, so at 145 we started getting a couple showings, still no offers. Because what's happening, now it's been two more months. You saw what the market did in six months? Well two more months it just kept dropping. It got worse. Yeah, yeah, it just like when you're in a falling market, like so I learned a lot about market cycles. When you're in a falling market, you're just chasing, you're just chasing at you know it's like a ball running downhill you're just just running as fast as you can but it's really hard to catch up with it so now i'm like now i'm at the end like i uh, like i've told my job like you know at this date i'm out and i had arranged to come up here and and work for 84 lumber for a little while and uh, so finally i'm like okay i got i need another plan so i'm like i've been through real estate courses i'm gonna i'm gonna lease option this house out right everybody says that's fantastic so i did i put out some signs i lease optioned it i got five thousand dollars down you know, I was going to make like 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month, whatever. It was going to be taken care of. We're out, right? So myself, my wife, and my brother were like, "We're going to, we're going to Tennessee to do real estate." And uh, during this time, I'd been back and forth because we had bought a, a duplex over on Dodson. And uh, my brother was here. We were kind of starting to wholesale and do some signs. and Like, we kind of had the ball rolling a little bit. But, but we came here, like, we, th- we drove the truck up. I bought a house subject to over on East 30th Street, just on the other side of the ridge. And, uh, like, that was it. Like, little like, maybe 5200 bucks we had to our name. And between three of us. <laughs> so uh-huh. divide that out. It wasn't good. But... You know you've heard that story like if you pull up you burn the boats like we were committed and i had a little job with a you know a little bit of a guarantee for 84 for a couple of weeks but it wasn't going to go forever so um i remember and like this is terrible uh, we bought this house and i signed the contract when i was here like a month before for that house on 30th street and we moved in and so i left this beautiful house that was remodeled it's me my wife three fat dogs my two sons who were in high school and we move into this house and it's it's east Lake, it's east you know it is what it is it wasn't great like we moved in like half the power wasn't working and i didn't really know why um, it was this old 100-year-old house right and you know mice are coming in running around like i literally like cried myself to sleep that first night i'm like what have i done i've left florida this beautiful house a three bedroom two bath that was remodeled and i'm i'm in this dump <laughs> like what kind of tragic mistake have I made I mean it was just, I'm telling you it was just terrible like as a dad and you know all that stuff and a husband you're like oh this is terrible but luckily for, for us we're like you know my superpower is being focused and working hard so we went out and we're like we're gonna wholesale like we're, we're doing this so, um, you know, we went out and bought, like, some blank bandit signs, and I would spend, spend the day writing, you know, bandit signs. We buy houses. We buy houses. We buy houses. Three, two, six, six, oh, six, nine. 6069 And uh, during the day, I had this job at 84, but I would leave there, and I would go drive for dollars, and my wife would come with me. Sometimes we'd be driving through Brainerd, and the boys would be in the back of my Jeep. They'd run out, and they'd, like, go put the, the flyer on the door and come back in. You know, they thought it was fun, you know. So we'd drive for dollars. My wife would come home. She'd send yellow letters or postcards or whatever it was, and you know, my brother and I were just we're just, Like, we're just just massive action. Like, probably 80% of what we were doing wasn't producing anything, but we were just doing stuff. Like, we were going we to figure it out. Um, so, like, every Friday night, we went out and put out 100 signs. Like, have you guys ever put out We Buy Houses signs? No. I know a little bit about it. You got okay. do it on Friday because they'll pick them up during the they week. They will pick them up during the week, but it's a lot of work, right? Uh-huh. It sounds like, oh, 100. But I'm telling you, go do it. It'll take you, it's four solid hours to do yeah. it. Um, Because you can't put, you know, eight on one corner because, you know, they're going to get picked up. So you've got to spread them out. You know, you want to put them in intersections that are high traffic because it's marketing, right? So you want to put it in a place where the most number of people are going to see it. (coughs) So so we did that and very quickly we started, (coughs) excuse me, we started getting traction, people calling us, hey, we, you know, yeah, I saw your house, I want to, I want to, or I saw your sign, I want to, you know, you want to buy my house. So... And I'm probably going longer than you guys wanted me to, but but back then, like, it's a different time, right? It was, it was everything on the news was, it's the end of the world, the sky is falling, um, you know, we don't know if the stock market's gonna open tomorrow, it was that. It was that kind of crazy stuff. You guys wanna do something interesting, go back and, like, YouTube, like, Dan Rather for the Great Recession, when he was coming on, and it was bad, man, it was bad. Like, you didn't know, he's like, well, you know, Dan Rather here, we don't know if the stock market's gonna open tomorrow. Like, it was scary stuff, um, you know, um, AIG has just collapsed and they're closing. I mean, it was, you know, wow. 10,000 people out of work today, 50,000. It was every day. It was something. So people are hearing that and they're, you know, they're ready like just to walk away from their houses. And one of the reasons that we chose Chattanooga, um, the Florida market was really, as a, as a state, is dependent, dependent economically on three things, right? So it's tourism, obviously, mm-hmm. right? Um, construction, because... It just construction is um, something like 40% of all people in Florida are tied to the construction industry somehow. So they're either a framer, they sell building materials, um, you know, they work at the blind store, whatever. Like it's a, it's enormous percentage of the population that's tied to that. And the other thing is agriculture and livestock, right? Florida is one of the biggest livestock states. Most people don't realize that. So it's like a three-legged stool, right? So the Great Recession happens. People stop traveling, right? That alone is enough to kill it. But then construction stops, right? Yeah. And the economy just tanked. So that's why 25% in six months, and it just kept dropping. It dropped 50% before it stopped. Yeah. Um, so when we were looking at other places to go, um, we looked at a bunch of different markets, and one of the reasons we were actually at a we were at a seminar in Boston, and they they were talking about markets, emerging markets, and one of the things that caught our eye about Chattanooga was this is the time. 2009 when Volkswagen announced they were coming here. Um, And then it was Amazon. So I really started doing a lot of research on Chattanooga. And what we realized was the economy here is very diverse, right? So you have the Georgia textile mills in Georgia. You've got Unum, you've got Blue Cross, you've got Little Debbie. You know, if any one of those things goes down, it's not going to collapse the economy here. They're putting a ton of money into downtown. And then Amazon is going to hire, you know, 5000 people which that 5000 people is great but there's 20000 that ancillary jobs that come with that right mm-hmm. so for again like construction so you've got those people then you've got distributors right mm-hmm. you've got all these things and then those people cause an influx of housing right so anyway something like that has amazing effects on an, on, an, on an economy which is why the government gives them tax breaks because it spurs all that stuff so anyways between those two things Amazon and uh, Volkswagen. That's why we decided to come here. But the other thing was that if you looked at a graph of housing prices, like in Florida, remember, 25 percent. Chattanooga only dropped about 10. Like people here thought it was the end of the world because that's what they're hearing on the on TV. Every, you know they they flip on and the Good Morning America's like, it's the end of the world, which it was for a lot of people. I'm not making light of that. It was really bad. But people were like, yeah, I want to sell my house. You know, would, whatever. Just you know, so the point I, where I was going with all that is it was very easy to buy houses back then. Mm-hmm. The problem was, as a wholesaler, Chattanooga is a very, at the time, it kind of maybe still is, but compared to Orlando, Atlanta, Tampa, it's a very unsophisticated investor market. All right? Down there, like, guys, like, they understand cash, like, it's quick. But you come up here and say, hey, I'm signing a contract 12 years ago. And people are like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, like, what is that even... Like, what, I don't... What You're doing what? Like, I don't understand that. So we had to kind of approach it from a little bit different angle. And nobody had wholesaled on any kind of scale here at the time. Like, nobody. Um, there was one guy who was a chiropractor who would do a couple a year. But, like, nobody did any kind of consistent, like, you know, six, eight mm-hmm. deals a month. So so we were the first people really to do that here. Um, and, yeah, we, we trained a bunch of people. And, like, all those people, people trained other people. And half of them you probably had on your podcast. It just kind of mm-hmm. just trickled down. So... I don't even remember what your original question was, but it's probably about uh, 15 minutes. That, that's what it was, <laughs> just, just to hear the backstory and how
0: you got into real estate. And I think it's funny, a, a recurring theme with a lot of our guests is that they got into real estate on accident. And they're, they're, there was never their goal to be a full-time
1: real yeah. estate. Yeah. So for me, it kind of was. Like, I, I loved real estate. I remember when my dad was mm. still alive in Florida, I'd be like, hey, that'd be a house we could fix up and sell. Like, I didn't know what that meant, right? uh uh-huh. um, you know, now there's a million shows on TV. Like, we had this old house. I don't even know if you guys have ever even watched that, but, like, we're from Boston. That was, like, a show. That was a big thing. Um, but it wasn't, like, flip for profit. It was, like, you know, Tom Sill was making, like, a craftsman making a house beautiful. So it was a little bit different. Um, but that's the only thing we had back then to, to, to go by, right? Um, you know, there wasn't the... I'm so old. There wasn't the internet. I mean, but there wasn't all that stuff that you see now where information is yeah. just so readily available. Um, you know, now you have a phone. You can find out anything, anything you wanted within a minute. Back then, we didn't have that. You know, I mean, you had to go to RIA and learn learn about this stuff. So, um, so, yeah, it was cool. And, you know, in the, in the process of wholesaling a bunch of houses, we learned how to, you know, buy stuff with owner financing. And so we've probably wholesaled... Easily a thousand houses and um, about seventy properties that we have, as, you know, in our portfolio as rentals and probably flipped about fifty or fifty or so. Yeah. So yeah, we do a bunch of stuff. Cool. And uh, you mentioned
0: that you bought the house you lived in, Subject Two. Yeah. That, is that correct? It is. And that's something that hasn't come up yet in any of our podcasts. You want to talk about? Really? Just the the concept of Subject okay. Two. Yeah, I'm not even sure what that is. Really? Yeah.
1: President of the real. Oh, man, dude, you start coming down once a week.
0: Yeah, yeah I do.
1: So. Um, So, so it's a really complicated, there's like a lot, I can make it sound super simple and everybody's going to be like, oh, I should go do that, but don't go go do it unless you really understand what you're doing. So subject two is, is I'm talking to you, you've got this house, you want to sell for whatever reason, you're motivated, whatever, whatever it is, right? Um, You know, divorce, job transfer, inherited a house, whatever. So, um, you know, my, my cash price to you is let's say 70,000, you're like, Man, I really got to get rid of this house, but I got a mortgage, and it's you know it's eighty-two thousand. I just can't sell it for seventy. So the nuts and bolts of it are like you're motivated, like you're out, Mm -hmm. right? And you're maybe maybe you're behind on payments, whatever it is. So there's actually two documents for a house, right? There's the title, and then there's a mortgage, right? Mm -hmm. People think they're connected, and they kind of are, but but they can be separated. Mm -hmm. So in this case, I can purchase your property, so that the title goes from you to me. So I'm now the legal owner. However, the mortgage stays in your name. Now, you know, this is an easy way to screw people over, right? And this happened a lot, 8, 9, 10, because so many people were in distress. People would show up and go, hey, I'll take over your mortgage. Um, what they would do is put a tenant in there or, you know, or take money down and put somebody in there, never pay the mortgage. And really, it, it, it does him wrong. Mm-hmm. So... You know, if you're going to do this strategy, there's like there's paperwork that's got to be right. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but um, but essentially, I can purchase that property, take over your mortgage. It's a little like assuming, like you used to be able to sue mortgages. The Garn-St. Germain Act of I think '84 kind of did away with that, but I can take over your. I can. There is a way to do this. You got to have an attorney involved to do it. But um, yeah, I can purchase your property, take over the mortgage. It's called purchasing subject to the existing mortgage. So sometimes mm-hmm. it's abbreviated sub two, like S U B dash two sub two. Um, So definitely a viable strategy if maybe you owe more than it's really worth, right? Mm -hmm. Or owe at what it's worth, which there was a lot of that back then because people were just like walking away from houses. Mm -hmm. Um, So you could buy a lot of these houses very easy with that strategy. Um, There are things you want to look out for. Like we would turn down probably four out of five where people would even ask us to do that. So if you see, you'll see sometimes you'll see these signs out there that say, we buy houses or take over payments, that's what it means. Mm. Um, but anyways, so let's say your mortgage is eight hundred dollars a month, but I know I can rent it for a thousand dollars a month. And if I can take purchase your property this way, so basically, it's a free house for me. I'm just paying closing costs. Maybe my closing costs are fifteen hundred, but I can rent it. You know, make whatever whatever that was four hundred bucks a month. Mm-hmm. You know, one it helps you, right? It's good for you because now your credit's not going to get. Trashed because me making those payments on time is really good for you, right? It's good for me because now I can put a tenant in there and I can make some cash flow. It's good for the tenant because now they have a place to go. Um, And good for me because I don't have to qualify for that mortgage. I don't have to get surveys, appraisals, you know, all the nonsense that goes with the bank. We love banks. We're not saying the banks are bad. Banks do not, they're not on this plan. They don't love this. Um, But, anyways, it does work. It's a good strategy. Um, You know, we bought a couple that we've still got 15 years later. Um, but yeah so pretty much you, like if I have a mortgage you just take over the mortgage put a I take in. it over the mortgage is still in your name so yeah. when you do this this is what I'm saying like I'm going to sit in your living room and explain to you how this works and that we're going to make that payment mm-hmm. right because usually somebody that's going to do it like it's their last straw and they're, or they're going to give it back to the bank giving it right. back to the bank is bad right like mm-hmm. I've had a foreclosure that house in, in Florida ended up getting foreclosed on jacked my credit up terribly so I have a lot of empathy for people with, that go through that um, But there are unscrupulous people that will do this, and then they'll try to assign the deal. And Mm -hmm. I get your house. I assign it to him. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if you get Like, he doesn't know you. Like, you know. So anyways, it's a good strategy if done ethically. And anyways, it can be good. It can be good for everybody. But if you're not a scrupulous person, you can, you know, really mess some people up. Yeah. sorry oh so yeah but my preferred man, like owner financing as a term kind of encompasses like everything it's like car there's mm-hmm. truck there's van there's oh like the term owner financing means a lot of things what we do is uh you know let's say you owned your property free and clear right and i wanted to give you forty thousand for it and you're like ah, i really got to have 60 man listen let me ask you a question do you need all 60 all at once well, no. I'm like, because if I give you all 60, you're, you're giving the government 20. <laughs> like, we're back at 40 anyways. Um, you know, would you be open to make, me making some kind of payments on that or kind of stretching it out? Maybe you wouldn't pay as much. Not like, I'm an accountant. I'm just telling you. But my understanding of tax law is that you'd pay a third of it in taxes. But anyways, would you be open to taking p- taking it over time, right? So uh, we just got to where we were asking that every time. Like, cash sale? You know, because I'm a wholesaler, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to make an offer that I, works for me with cash. Um, But we just started asking that, you know, would you be open to this? And not everybody's going to do it, right? Like, not everybody's going to take your cash offer. You know, 19 out of 20 are going to reject it anyways. But on those, you know, one out of 40 is going to take your your owner finance offer. Um, And that's how we built a portfolio of, like, $4 million over, like, our first five or six years. So it's very doable. And, uh, you know, we probably have $6 million invested other than closing costs in those deals where we had to put money down. And amazing kind of retirement plan. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you yeah. for explaining that. Yeah, those are very short, yeah. de- you know, but just to kind of give you an overview of it, hopefully it made some yeah. sense. Now, uh, if we could talk about the business, that'd be cool. I know sure.
0: TAG, if, if I understand correctly, <clears throat> TAG is more the dispo in your acquisition? The, or the Other way around? Yeah. Okay. So w- could you talk about the disposition side of the wholesaling
1: business? Sure. And, and he what may what have talked... Your- to- I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, what, what does your day look like in your team yeah. on that side? So let me explain first, like back up just why we broke it up. So yeah. as a as a, an individual person, you're like, you're trying to wholesale and you're just getting started. Um, most people don't tell you it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's hard. Um, and this, you know, you watch the webinar, it's like, oh, you're going to sit at home in your underwear, eating Cheetos, make a couple calls, flip a house, 20 grand, boom, you're out the door. Um, and that's, it's a, that's a very superficial like, explanation. So um, kind of like if you were to put things on a timeline, like you've got to do some marketing. Right? You've got to do something to get people to call you or you call them. Right? So you send out a postcard, somebody calls me, or I text them and we get on the phone or I cold call them. Whatever it is, Like there's some marketing that's involved. So finally I get somebody on the phone or I go visit their house, we talk, we get under contract. Great. You know, so maybe you get three properties under contract from your from your marketing. Fantastic. So now I got three contracts. The biggest lie in real estate is if you get a good deal, it will sell. Scrap. If I have a good deal and a contract sitting on my desk, it's not going to sell. Right? Something's got to be done with it. So now you get those contracts, and you're all excited. And now you kind of you flip from your now acquisitions is done. Right. So you take that hat off, and now you got to put on the dispositions hat. So now you're kind of changing your, you know, what you do in life. So now you got to start marketing to find buyers, right? you now you're going out and you're maybe putting out banded signs that say "house for sale, deeply discounted." Call me. You know, you're posting on Craigslist, Facebook, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. So now you have got to market <clears throat> and go through the same process to find buyers. So now you're talking to buyers all the time. You know, I got a ton of cash. Your property's terrible. Whatever. You go through all this stuff. You know, so now you, you deal with that for a month or six weeks and you you get a buyer for all of your contracts, right? Well, now you start, you got to get them through closing, right? right? So this is now, this is a whole nother challenge because you bought a distressed property from somebody and, you know, yeah, they're kind of the owner, but, you know, your, you know, your great aunt, you know, deeded you the property off a of deed that they bought it staples which probably it kind of worked and got recorded but it's not good enough to get title insurance so now maybe you're going to spend some time on two of those properties cleaning up title or like somebody died and you're getting affidavits you know you're just doing stuff right it's a job right so so you get through all of that hopefully let's assume all three of them close (sighs) great i made 20 grand awesome i love real estate well now what there's nothing on your table (laughs) there's nothing left right there's no so we call this like the wholesale cycle of death right so now you got to go all the way back to the beginning and start over again right so after doing that for a while I'm like this is stupid right it's this constant like up and down up and down up and down there's no predictability in your business so um I had a partner before tag and then when when tag came along we really fine-tuned it and we just split the business in half functionally right so your job all the time marketing, talking to sellers, marketing, talking to sellers, marketing, talking to sellers, right? So there's no stop. When that contract gets, mm-hmm. gets signed, you just go back and do it again, right? And then you pass the contract to him. Now your job, all you do all day is you're talking to buyers, right? That's mm-hmm. all you're doing. That's your world. Because they're different. There are different worlds. Mm-hmm. And kind of you approach it the same way with marketing, but, you know, but they're just different, right? So your world, all you're doing is, you know, you're posting all the time for buyers. You're, you know, building that list of buyers in the area. You're going to meetups. You know, you're kind of always learning, like, what is the new thing that I can be doing? How can I be getting out there, right? We use a term, you know, playing all of your aces, right? So we get a house under contract. and I'm like, oh, I'm going to make a Facebook post. And then I stare at it for three days, and I'm like, oh, didn't sell it. So on day four, I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do next? Craigslist. Posted on Craigslist. Now I look at Craigslist, and I'm like, Oh, well, shit. Shoot, that didn't work. I'm going to go put out some signs. You know, so you do this, and all of a sudden now it's 30 days, and you're like, oh, man, my contract's up real estate. It's terrible. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So what we do is is we have a plan where we just compress all that into the – we do everything at once, right? Mm-hmm. So um, – I used to get on my girls when we first, when we were first kind of figuring all this out. I'm like, we're supposed to do 10 things to sell this house and we're only doing six, and never the same six. <laughs> we're, just all, we're just all over the place. We're never doing the same thing. Um, so that's where you kind of this hustle turns into a little bit more of a system, right? So like there's a checklist, you know, we're gonna we're gonna text blast buyers, we're gonna send them a you know a voice message, our ringless voicemail, we're gonna do all these things. Somebody's responsible for it, and and that's how you, you kind of build that consistency. So to answer your question, that's why we split our business, right? So that somebody is always working on the marketing. So marketing is always happening, right? So I don't get to the end and go, oh, well, now what, right? Because now it's, you got to push that car. Even on flat surface, it still, it still takes energy to, to get that thing moving again. So that's always running. So leads are always coming in. Someone in acquisitions is always talking to sellers. Mm-hmm. And then, then we start to get some consistency, three to five contracts a week. And then somebody's always marketing for buyers, right? Somebody's always talking to buyers, Somebody's always mm-hmm. closing, you know. But that's a scaled-out business. That's it's hard to get there. You know, you can't just we can't just start tomorrow and hire 15 people and, and do all that. You have mm-hmm. to kind of grow. You know, starts with me, and it's like an embryo. You know, the embryo it splits right. So you know, one person handles acquisitions. I handle dispositions. As he grows, now he's got somebody else to talk to sellers, mm-hmm. and he's doing something else on my side. I, you know, it splits yeah. off. I got Taylor. She came in. And uh, you know, I'm a control freak, but sooner or later she was doing a good enough job. She just graduated from UTC from, in marketing and uh, she came to work for us and I let her start talking to buyers, right? And as we got a little bit bigger, she couldn't handle all the buyers, so we split her job off and hired two more dispositions people and she managed them. So, so that's kind of how you grow. You know, Somebody gets maxed out and then you, know, you split it off and train them in something and hopefully they can grow. Um, so my job, like, I'm the support person for my, for my team. Like, you know, buddy of mine's like, he's like, I'm the lead blocker, right? Like, I'm the guy with the money, and I'm the guy that's cheering him on. I'm, honestly, I don't do a lot of, I mean, I'm here, they have questions, you know, we're talking about stuff all day long, but functionally, somebody else does the marketing, somebody else uploads the list into the computer. you know, somebody else does those things. I'm just here to kind of oversee and manage the process and make sure it's, it's happening, you know, manage the business side of, of what we do, you know, other than putting stuff on the website. You because know, I think I do it better than them. I don't really do a whole, a whole lot, and that sounds terrible. I, I realize as I'm saying it how dumb it sounds, but um, but no, my job's just to, to be there to support my team, right? And I tell people when I hire them, I say, listen, as the owner of the company, like I'm the last guy that gets paid, right? So you get paid before me. I want to do everything. I, I'm here to do everything I can to make sure you have what you need to do a good job, right? If you need the red chair with the headrest, and you're going to produce, and that makes you produce more. Dude, I'm ordering that chair right now. Mm. All of my people have two monitors. You need a third monitor, and it's going to help you do more? We're getting you the third. I mean, that's my job. You know, you tell me that you need a different piece of software, and it's going to help you do more sales, and it makes sense? We're getting it. Like, that's my job. I'm the guy to, that I'm here to make your job easy so you sell more. Because if you make more... I got a fat English bulldog at home. She really likes cookies. My job is to bring fat petunia home cookies. You know, <laughs> so I mean that's kind of the way that I approach it. I'm just I'm just here to support them, right? Make make their job easy, and I want them to kind of want to come to work every day because when they sell stuff, I make money, right? I mean, I'm a business owner. That's all it is. Yeah. That's something that Tag
0: talked about also. Mm-hmm. I think he called it the upside down work cycle. Like the mm-hmm. employees don't work for you; you work for the
1: employees. I mean, to a point, um, and there's a balancing act there, yeah. right? And we've kind of, you know everything has an ebb and flow. Hmm. Um, Like we're really great to our employees and, you know, like we try to have a great culture, but, but sometimes I can see where like culture and fun edges ahead of like work Work. and productivity. So then you have to, you have to pump the brakes and wean it back. And, you know, so Hmm. yes, a hundred percent, but works always, you know, work and productivity have to come first. I, you know, I sometimes tell them, I'm like, so we're a small business. We are not backed by some multi-billion dollar company. Like, you know, we have to close properties to stay in business, right? Mm-hmm. The rent is four thousand dollars a month, eight hundred dollars in electric. Like we have fixed costs, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's a business, we know that tomorrow, the first of the month, I have to have seventy thousand dollars to open the doors. That's what it's going to cost for payroll, marketing, computers. T- t- you know, I mean, it costs. There's a there's a there's an expense here. So yes, he's absolutely right. <sighs> You want to keep people engaged, and they want you want them to have a great place to work, but they also have to be productive, right? It can't be one one way or the other. It also can't be a sweatshop, you yeah, know, yeah. where you're out there just cracking the whip on them, like work harder, you know, and we're my cigar, you know. I mean, so you've got to find that that balance, and that's. Um, it's that's as a boss. That's the thing you're you're watching all the time because everybody's like you know somebody posted one time like what would the perfect office environment be and it's like you know I mean you I saw crazy responses and I want to say like yeah, but like the company has to stay in business, (laughs) you know, like like that's
0: a fancy coffee machine. Yeah.
1: Which is cool. Like, you know, we've got Keurig's, we've got all that stuff here and the fancy water filtration thing, but like you have to produce or none of those things. So, you know, it's just a fine line to walk and make sure that everybody understands it. Um, and sometimes like you get one person that's just not going to do it and that person becomes like a cancer. You just got to get them out. Right. Um, I was interviewing somebody, Oh, a couple weeks ago and and uh, we, were talk- we were talking about something and uh, like yeah I was at a job they laid some people off I'm like so you want to know like a real boss secret like a real thing and she's like yeah like here's the thing like if any of your friends ever say like yeah they laid like six of us off and even though I was the best person I got laid off <laughs> you just weren't, right? Because as, as a boss or an owner, and I've managed people for 20 years when I was in stores, like I want to surround myself with the people that make my life easier, right? Like the best people. I'm never, you know, laying you off because I want to keep him if you're the best person, if mm-hmm. you're better qualified and do a better job, right, than, than you. I mean, it's just,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it just doesn't work that way, right? I mean, unless you just got you work for some nitwit whatever crazy person but normal people like normal bosses you know don't make decisions yeah like Like I tell my people like you know Narissa and Taylor that work for me and and Heather I'm like you guys got a job for life because you make my job easy right you like your job is to protect me from doing dumb stuff right (laughs) like like Narissa's my assistant like she keeps my schedule up and like she's texting me today she's like I know you're not here but you have an interview in 20 minutes are you going to be back like they do that stuff to you know to keep me Because, you know, I run a business. I run, like, four businesses. And, you know, some of them are real estate, some of them aren't. And I'm in, like, a million different directions. So, so yeah, that girl, like, she's got my credit cards and the keys to my house and my computer password. She could go wipe me out. But, you know, those are the people that that we keep close um, because we trust them, you know. So, that's Again, don't know what the question was. I've been rambling so long, but oh, <laughs> you have to reel business. me back every so often. Yeah, so
0: you said you got like four other businesses. I know you do real estate coaching and courses like
1: that. That's yeah. something you've gotten into. Yeah. Can um, you talk about that? Sure. Um, yeah, it's not that exciting. You know, we coach, you know, kind of more beginning and intermediate um, people that want to get into wholesaling. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna come on here to promote that. But yeah, mm. so I have that. We have our rental business. So we've got um, you know, a little over 70 rentals. We actually sold one of them today. Um, what's it like managing that? Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's like having 70 children. <laughs> some are good, some are bad, right? Um, so people ask that, like, what's it like, like having rentals? And I'm like, okay, well, kind of like here's round numbers for you. Out of every 10, seven are going to be pretty good right? They're going to pay you. They're going to pay you on time. They mail their check-in. You very rarely hear from them, right? So some of my rentals, like honestly, I have some rentals I haven't been to in like six years because they just pay. No bubbles, no troubles. Easy, right? So seven are good. Very rarely ever hear from them. Um, Two out of 10, they're going to be a pain in the butt, right? Always breaking their faucet, you know, air conditioning is always out because they don't replace the filter, whatever, right? But they pay, but they're high maintenance, right? One out of 10, though, it's gonna make you wanna dig your eyeballs out with a fork and rue the day you ever got into, got into real estate. Because um, they're just gonna be the worst. They're just gonna be, mm. you know, they all come in and we sit here and we do leases and like, oh, Mr. David, it's, uh, thank you, it's gonna be fantastic. And we run a background check on them and we think we've done all the right things and we get them in there and oh my gosh. It's terrible. <laughs> so ten percent are going to be bad, right? Ten percent are going to just destroy your place. Mm-hmm. But it's a business, right? So you can't take it personal. Like my mm-hmm. wife's a maniac. She's like a spider monkey. She go kill them all. Um, I like, <laughs> I had to pull her one time. We were at, at one of our apartment complexes. I'm like, and you're done. You know, <laughs> get back in the car because you're <laughs> rah, 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 with a tenant. I'm like, can't do that. This is a business. Don't can't take mm-hmm. it personal. It's just it's just it's your job, right? Um, so what is it like? Most days is great, honestly. Again, I've got some great employees that, that take the brunt of not even the brunt, just they just take the calls and mm-hmm. you know they'll text me like, hey, we need AC guy over at Duncan. Okay, great.
0: And you said so that seventy properties are uh, a lot of those single families. So you do more multifamily.
1: It's kind of a mix. Um, so the way that that I acquired my properties was through our wholesaling business. It kind of ran parallel. So we we just do a ton of marketing. So that's the way we do our wholesale stuff too you know, my philosophy is I throw out the biggest fishnet I can off the boat and just pull in as much stuff as I can. Right. And every house that comes in, I look at it and go, okay, how can I make, how can I make this a deal? Right. Is it a wholesale deal? Can I buy it with owner finance? Subject to, you know, like how can I, how can one, how can I help this person who's has motivation and some type of distress? Right. And then how can I make some money on it and, and do something with it? So a lot of stuff comes in, trailers, apartment complexes you know duplexes triplexes you know all those different things so so we have a pretty even mix um honestly i'm probably i have less single families now than i do duplexes and you know eight units and five units and that type of thing but not by design you know um it's just what what came in you know yeah so how is it like? It's like having children, <laughs> yeah. you know. And I've got college rentals. Those are honestly mostly my, my probably some of my best best tenants. You guys are like super low maintenance. You never want to call me. because You don't want me to come in and see what's going on. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> unless, unless something's happening, you know, the air condition is not working. Um, but yeah, you know, those have been great for us. So it's rentals, wholesaling, coaching, coaching. We're also invested in a, a gas and oil company in in yeah. Texas. Um, what else? that's probably the main ones the main big stuff yeah so yeah coaching yeah yeah that's it cool so uh,
0: one question um i asked tag this and he he thought it was a tough question so if 18 to 20 year old david was wanting to get into real estate Mm -hmm. what would you tell him
1: now knowing what you know so i mean i don't know about you guys but i have this fantasy i lay in bed at night and i'm like God, if I could just go, because I didn't really start this until I was 39. So, like, I love, like, seeing guys like you that are, like, ready to get into real estate. Like, I'm, uh, like, people, young people that are passionate. Like, dude, I'm, like, I think that's the greatest thing. Because, again, I started at 39. So, all my life, I was, like, oh, I want to I retire at 50. And, like, I'm pissed off that that didn't happen because that's coming up in the next couple of months. So, so, I have this, you know, this thing in my head. I'm, like, oh, if I could go, I could go back in time. Like, I think about mm-hmm. this all the time. So, I love this question. I'm, like, oh, like how far would I go back? probably about the middle of my, like, junior year, right? Because, you know, I was kind of doing all the wrong things back then. I kind of screwed up a little bit. So I'm like, that's, like, the point in time I would go back to, right? I could fix my SATs or whatever. But, you know, then I'm like, okay. So then I got to think about like, what was real estate like back then, right? There's no this, like none of this, right? So, mm-hmm. so I kind of go like I go through these mental calisthenics, but dude, I buy more houses. I mean, I just, I buy houses. Um, creative financing has been around forever, right? It's not, this isn't anything new. In fact, like in the 50s, 60s, 70s, not that I'm that old, but, you know, even in the late 80s and ni- early 90s, it was more, it was very prevalent, right? Um, Robert Allen, um, Carlton Sheets, who everybody goofed on because he had these late nine infomercials, like taught all the same stuff that the guys now have repackaged, and they're teaching it as something else. So yeah, I'd, I'd go back and buy some houses, right? Buy buy a house. You guys are in your 20s. Buy it with bank. If you have if you have to buy it with bank financing, which is you don't, but put it on 15 or 20 years. Get those things paid off as quick as you can. Because um, I think when we talked, like, what I always ask people is, what does the end look like? Like, like, what is the end for you? And most people are like, oh, you know, they have some canned answer. I'm like, no, like, the end. <laughs> like, like for you, like, when can you stop? Like, what does it take to be able to stop doing real estate, your job, or whatever it is? And this is, like, I challenge people with this. Like, what does the end look like? And, you know, is it, like, you're going to retire on a mountain, or you're going to retire on, you know, whatever, or you want to join the Peace Corps and go plant crops in Kenya. Whatever the thing is, right? Like, what does that look like and what do you have to have to get there? Mm-hmm. Right? So usually that's like cash flow. You have to have some cash, either saved up cash or some cash flow. So you want to go to Kenya and plant crops in the desert, whatever. Okay, you need $20,000 a month to do that. Cool. Now we know, right? So now we, now we have something to work with. So we start with the end in mind and then we work backwards. Mm-hmm. So what is it going to take to get you $20,000 a month in cash flow? Dude, that's easy. Like, I can teach you how to do that in two years. You can be gone in two years, 2025, or out planting crops. It's not something that takes 40 years. So what does the end look like? And really, what does, like, what do you want to do? You know? Like, people ask you, too, like, if you had all the money in the world, all the, like, legit, you won the lot, the $350 million lottery tonight or whatever it is, um, like, what would you do? Like, and most people don't ever stop and think about that because they get so wrapped into what I'm doing tomorrow or what, you know, my boss and my girls and my dog and my blah, blah, whatever. Um, but what does the end look like? Like, you have to really think about that and, like, what would make you happy? Um, you know, for me, I, I want to travel the world. That's what I want to do. Me and my wife, we love to travel. So to do that and not have to worry about anything else, how much cash flow do I have to have? How does that, how does that look? Right? So I've got to have rentals. I'll probably turn them all over to a property manager. And they'll just send me a check and they'll take care of the taxes and the maintenance and, you know, I'll have 50000 a month in cash flow. If the property manager is terrible and screws up everything and spends 50%, I still have 25000 this month and then next month, and you know, and I can go do whatever I want. So, so what does the end look like? That's, you know, I would tell you to think about that and figure it out. And it's going to change, right? We've talked about mm-hmm. this before. Like what you want today is going to change maybe in 10 years, but get started now because, What's not going to change is you need to have some money, <laughs> right? So if you like real estate and you're passionate about it, like, get buy some buy some rentals. You know, if you want to use, you know, bank financing, um, I've talked to a lot of people about this. Some of them listen, some don't. You know, you can use an FHA mortgage, which is the easiest mortgage to qualify and the lowest down payment. It's three and a half percent, and you can go buy a fourplex. Three and a half percent, you probably get the seller. Bump up the price four percent. He'll give you back three and a half percent of closing. You buy it basically with no money down. Live in one unit, rent three. Life's good, right? You don't have to live there forever, but you've got three three units paying paying for the whole property. Even if you do a thirty year loan, don't do a thirty year. But even if you do, like those tenants are going to pay that thing off for you. Like it's not going to cost you anything, mm-hmm. you know. Buy that on an FHA loan. You can. Only, the bad news is you can only have one at a time. So keep it for five years, four years, two years. Refinance a conventional, and then you have like your FHA token, and you can go buy another one. Two years, go buy another one. Two years, you know. Mm-hmm. How many of those do you have to have, right? Yeah. If if you have ten places that rent for eight hundred a month, that's eight thousand dollars when they're paid off, or eight thousand dollars cash flow, whatever. However you want to figure it out. Like most people can live on eight thousand dollars a month. That's far more than whatever the average wage is certainly in Chattanooga or any place else. So. It's not that hard to, you know. Uh, I was at a, a, a seminar boot camp one time, and, and the guy's like, you know, Who here wants to live like a millionaire? And everybody's like, Yeah, me, right? Of course. So he's like, Well, we actually got on the whiteboard. He's like, Well, what does that look like, right? Who wants to live in a million dollar house? Everybody's like, Yeah, me. So he's like, Okay, a million dollar house. It's gonna cost you 10 grand a month for a mortgage payment. Okay, cool, 10 grand, right? Well, like, how much are you gonna wanna spend to go out? Like what's it gonna cost you to go out every night? Like every night, right? Like we actually figured it out. Well, okay, two hundred bucks, and you know, so whatever, three thousand, right? Like so, what's your travel budget gonna be? Like oh, I want to go out, you know, one or two weekends a month, right? So remember, this was twenty years ago. Three thousand, right? So I mean, you figure all that up, and it's like twenty-one grand. And you're like, okay, you guys can't wholesale twenty-one thousand bucks a month. Like you're not trying. <laughs> like and you, you start to put it in that perspective, and you're like, oh. Like, I can have that lifestyle if I want. I just got to go figure out how to do it. Like, what, what are the, st- again, starting with the end in mind, like working backwards. Like, what is it that you want? Mm-hmm. Nothing's going to produce like real estate. I promise. I challenge yeah. you. I'll put a thousand bucks on anybody who wants to come in here and tell me they're going to do something that can produce faster and at a greater margin than real estate. It's not going to happen. Um, so even a bad wholesale deal is five grand, dude. You can't do one of those a week. Oh man, I can sit at Starbucks and do one a week without even trying. Um, without my computer, I can go out with a, a pad and paper and a, you know and drive around and do it. So yeah, and it just it's it's easy, right? Um, and kind of my wife and I have always had that philosophy. She's like, oh, I want a new car. I'm like, okay, cool. It's two deals. I want to go to I want to go to Europe in December for the month. Okay, cool. So that's like four four extra deals we got to do. Like, well, when you start thinking, and that's the the difference between you know employee and you know, entrepreneur mindset is. Okay, cool. Like, what does it take? Like, what what do I have to do to get what I want, right? Because everything is achievable. Whatever you, you want to live in a million dollar house, great, it's $10,000 a month. You got to consistently do at least two deals a month. All right, now what? Like, what's your next problem?
0: <laughs>
1: right? I mean, this is again, this is third grade math. There's no, nothing that's complicated about this, it's just a mindset issue, you know? Um, so, yeah, what was the original question? <laughs> that's going to be the theme of this, right? What was the question? Yeah. So it, it may look
0: different now as uh-huh. your business has already been developed, but what are some things you did to keep yourself on track? Like did you set goals and mm-hmm. uh, what, what, what did you do to
1: keep yourself on track as you were growing or even now? So that's going to be different for me than most people. Cause that like I said earlier, that is my super, I'm the most, superpower. I'm the most focused, like, like driven person there is. So like, it just comes very natural to me like once i decide on something we're going to do it right like tag and i have this expression like we stay in our lane we do one thing we do it good um, the better question is like over 20 years of doing this why have people failed right mm-hmm. so what happens is the ria in orlando this week they bring in a speaker and he talks about wholesaling and everybody's excited like wholesaling that's great he shows some stuff on the screen you can make you know 10 10,000 a month it's very achievable great so people start that and 2 months later Somebody comes in and says, you know, condo conversions are the hottest thing ever. You can get someone to lend you the money, and now you're doing condo conversions. Great. It's like they're veering off the road, and they're going condo and, and that keeps them busy for six weeks until the next guy comes in, and he's like, "You can rehab houses, and make fifty grand a piece, and if you just did three of those a year, and now they're over here doing this." So that's that's really the, the mm-hmm. biggest thing where I see have seen people fail is they follow that shiny shiny object, right? So um, there's a lot of ways to do real estate, right? I tell people like you, you like it's like being a doctor. You can do lots of doctor, like the eye doctor, the nose doctor, the ear doctor, the knee doctor, the toe doctor, whatever. Um, you know, all those are specialties, right? Just because you're the knee doctor doesn't mean I'm calling you for brain cancer. Real estate's the same way, right? Just pick something that fits your personality, right? So, you know, I, I love to talk to people, so wholesaling is great. Like buying houses, selling houses, having tenants, good, right? Fits my personality. Being the guy who does short sales, who sits on the phone all day, sending emails, and waiting on hold to talk to a bank representative. To negotiate, Like, that's not me. Like, i go out of my mind. I hate call. even calling my credit card company because, you know, I'm sitting there and just ding, ding, you know. So find something that fits your personality that you really like and you enjoy and you're passionate about it, and you can make a bunch of money, you know, and do that. But just pick one thing and stick with it. And, again, to kind of go all the way back to the beginning, do not have to be that smart. I'm not that smart. Just pick one thing and, you know, and just get good at it. And make it so it's very repeatable, and uh, you know. And then you want to add something—that's okay, right? So we wholesale, like we add something that runs parallel, right? So in my wholesaling business, that's how we acquire rentals. So they're kind of running in the same direction, right? Oh, wholesaling business—I get this deal, you know. So wholesaling is quick cash, right? I'm like, oh, if there's this deal, I can rehab it. Right. It still kinda runs parallel to what we're doing. But my wholesale business is on track, right? I you know, I could take a little of my attention and divert it over here and, and do this rehab and make forty grand. But you know, I'm still like I'm in still in, you know, my, my I'm between the, you know, still in the lines, but now there's three it's a three lane highway instead of a one lane. Um, but don't be like, oh, I'm gonna start. I'm going to be a realtor. Like, I see that a lot. I want to be a realtor, too, and I can list stuff. And, and what happens is now you're going, you're going like this, right? So, you know, it's, it's hard to serve two masters. It's hard to do two things that are completely different. Um, and that's a recipe for failure. Very few people can do that and do it successfully. So how do I do it? I'm just stupidly focused, hmm. you know, too dumb to quit. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I know it works. So saw Bob get up there and the Russian girl. And I've, you know, I've seen people who were not that bright do this and do it really successfully. Um, you know, and I like doing it. I like the freedom of wholesaling. I can turn the turn it's like a faucet, right? I can turn my marketing on, do a bunch of deals. I want to go to, you know, China for three weeks, I can crank, crank the volume down on the marketing, go, come back, crank it back up, mm-hmm. start the business again. Mm-hmm. So that's what I like. You know, it gives me a lot of freedom to do it. Awesome. You know I won't ask else? you what the question was.
0: <laughs> I kind of want to go back um, to what you were saying a little while ago, talking about uh, what's that number for you? Like, what do you want to do? Because mm-hmm. for me, like, I feel
1: like yeah, I want to sit on a beach somewhere, but I feel yeah. like I'd go crazy. Sure. Without like sure. Like yeah. Do you want to work the rest of your life? Or? I want I love real estate. Like First so, I tell my my staff this. I'm like, I'm gonna retire and you know travel the world. And They're like. Absolutely not, right? (laughs) But so here's the thing, right? So one thing that I've enjoyed doing and I've, been lucky enough that some people wanted to listen to my nonsense and, and, you know, and have gotten and started in real estate. So yeah, I love doing this, right? And I love talking to especially young people that want to get started um, and pouring into them because I didn't start till I was 39. I'm pissed about it, right? (laughs) So I love to see like young, Even i got a friend, Evan Green, he, you know, has a construction company and he's in his twenties and doing amazing stuff. Like I'm, I love that. Honestly, I'm a little jealous because I didn't get I didn't do that when I was young, right? So that's a, that's like an Achilles heel for me. So Yeah you know, I pour into my staff where I'm getting ready to start a flip with my transaction coordinator. And I flipped a mobile home last year with, you know, Taylor that works for me, that runs my dispositions department. So yeah, I can, I can do some stuff like that, right? Maybe I'll lend money to people. Like I'll always be involved in it somehow. Um, but it won't be a case where I've I've got to be in, in the office and do stuff. So Will I be? You want to be traveling? Yeah. Yeah. I want to travel. And now, you know, it's a remote world. One thing COVID's done for us is Zoom and podcasts, and it's mm-hmm. easy to do this stuff from anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I'll always be involved in real estate. I mean, I, I love it, but do I have to? You know, no, I get to mm-hmm. go do some of the things that I've always wanted to do. But well, I always have a something in it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, I have rentals, so I'll always be involved somehow. Yeah,
0: that's one thing I've heard about a lot recently is almost everybody that reaches financial independence, mm-hmm. they don't take it and go sit on the beach. They
1: just, yeah. you know, they, they do what makes them happy, yeah. and that's
0: where they found the financial
1: that's it yeah there's so many stories and, and tag's got a great one where you know this guy had all these animal hospitals and then you know he just stopped and like you know was done in like you know two years because you, you lost your sense of purpose right so maybe that's mm-hmm. more of like a retirement thing like you worked in the stock market and then you retire and you're just like you're on the other side of the door right and you're, you're like it's happening over there and you're on the outside looking in the one thing about it, if it's your company you know, maybe you put somebody else in charge, and you can still kind of be mm-hmm. involved. Mm-hmm. Um, being an entrepreneur kind of allows you to kind of have just like one toe in, and instead of you know both whole feet. Uh, yeah, it's the thing you love, right? It's the thing, mm-hmm. and you feel like you've nurtured it, and you know, you know, built these thing, these things, these assets into into you know, something that produces, you know, that's how I tell people like every house is like a little soldier. It has to go out there and make money. <laughs> it has to have a tenant has to, you know, has to have cash flow every month. And, uh, but yeah, hundred percent, like it's the thing you like to do. So why would you ever stop? Yeah. Um, you know, but just, it allows you to, um, you know, spend time with your family and grandkids or whatever, whatever it is. Um, yeah. All right. So anything else? We can-
0: <laughs> wrap it up there. That's great. Cool. Yeah, that was great. That was cool. a, yeah, that that was great great hearing you talk, it. man. Okay, so. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Sure. I'm happy to do it, guys.